share the word of God with you. It's good to be here among many, many friends. Uh, I made a list because I have a poor memory. The Beardsleys. It's good to have the, be here with the Beardsleys. By the way, uh, my good friend Stephen Beardsley invited me to come this evening, and he's a no-show. <laughs> now, you can imagine what my enemies are like if my friends are that way. Good to, good to be here with the Faubert's and the Lugos, and I appreciate their uh, kindness and hospitality to me. Uh, the, the Coopers, the Ahmadpours, uh, Brother Stan, the Mosses, the Coens, uh, many friends. Uh, Nick Horn was very helpful. Appreciate his uh, technical wizardry uh, this evening. I'm excited. Is anyone else here excited about wrestling with this magisterial book of the Bible. Uh, I'm excited to see what God's going to do. He is among us this evening. The one who is and was and is to come is here. And I pray that we uh, enjoy, experience the intersection of the other realm, the supernatural realm, with the time and space of our world. Uh, if you feel something peculiar this evening, uh, you feel a touch, that is, that is uh, the Spirit of God moving among us as we ponder and think about this great book, uh, the, the caboose that closes out the New Testament. So I thank all of you for uh, coming out this evening. By the way, we've got good news this evening. This, this book, despite uh, its bad rap, some have called it the Rodney Dangerfield of the New Testament. I, I can't get no respect. Uh, despite, <laughs> despite its uh, bad, uh, bad reputation, if you're on Jesus' side, we got good news. We got some, thank you, sir, great hope to look forward to. Amen. So uh, let's, let's uh, move into our material this evening. The title is Apocalypse Then and Now. Apocalypse Then and Now. And I carefully titled this book, uh, uh, titled our uh, session, because of a firm conviction that the book of Revelation spoke, past tense, to its first century audiences, uh, i.e. The, the seven churches of Asia Minor and, and probably many other congregations that uh, copied and transmitted and listened to that, uh, the book being read aloud, as well as speaking to us today. And I have full confidence this evening as we work through the book of Revelation, we will hear from God, right? The one who sits upon the throne of the cosmos will speak because this is a book that is authoritative, it is inspired, and it was given to be, to be read, uh, to be thought through, and to, be, uh, to empower us to live for him. So welcome. My task uh, during the next uh, the four sessions will be to talk about the most strange, bizarre, and controversial book in the Bible. Anyone game? Hey, you might as well go for the gusto, right? Wait a minute, that's a beer commercial. Forget, scrap, scrap that. 
This book is odd, right? It's full of weird creatures, hybrid monsters, and it's scary. Some would compare it to a nightmare. Why would we want to study this book? And unfortunately, many have, have uh, avoided the book of Revelation because of uh, its strange nature and because of the, the strangeness of some of the people who, who teach it. Uh, sometimes I think they're stranger than the, the monsters in the book. The book of Revelation is the most commented upon book in all the Bible, and it's not surprising. There's a lot of viewpoints. Uh, it's, it's become a very, it, it has been, if we were to trace the 2,000 years since the book of Revelation was written, it is uh, clearly the most divisive book in the Bible. Uh, it has suffered more abuse, more misunderstanding, and more neglect than any other book uh, in the Bible. Trying to see why my notes aren't working here, coming down. Well, hey, we don't need notes. Who needs notes? So let's take a look at some of our course objectives, shall we? First of all, to approach the book of Revelation with an open mind, right? I'm sure every person here uh, has heard something about the book. Hopefully everyone here has read the book, and I, I encourage you to read the book of Revelation over the course of, the, of these next several weeks because we'll be spending time in the book. Let's try to come with an open mind to what God wants to do. To orient us to the book, if you've come here expecting uh, me to provide a detailed verse-by-verse -verse commentary on every verse in the book of Revelation on the Greek text over the next four weeks, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but we don't quite have enough time to accomplish that feat. However, what I hope to do is to give you a set of tools and to help introduce perhaps a better way to interpret and understand and work with a book of Revelation than you may have had in the past. So in, in conversation with Pastor Beardsley, Stephen, uh, we are not going to try, we're going to, we're going to resist the temptation to move too quickly through and provide a survey of the book. We'll be doing some of that but we want to spend quite a bit of time talking about how do we understand the book of Revelation? Is everyone with me? How do we understand this book? How can we be responsible interpreters of the book of Revelation? It's God's word. We don't want to just approach it any old willy-nilly way. We don't simply want to interpret it in our own private way, but we want to understand what the text is saying we want to hear the voice of the book of Revelation. So we want to be willing, perhaps, to ask a different set of questions, right? What are some of the, the questions you've probably heard most commonly asked when you start getting on the topic? Maybe you're hanging out with some church friends. Maybe you're at work. You got the topic of eschatology. Anyone know that deep? 
long technical word means, Brother Moss does, he may be the only one. Um, eschatology, end time, the study of the end time. You want to get in an argument. Maybe your life has been too peaceful lately and you want to get in an argument with someone. Bring up eschatology. There's as many views as there are people. Here's some of the questions commonly asked. Who is the Antichrist? I know Arash is here tonight just because he's looking for the answer to that question. Mid-trib, post-trib, pre-trib. You want to get in a, in a, at a duke out? Come on, Brother Moss. Let's argue that. Where is Russia in the Bible, in the, New T in, in the book of Revelation? Where's the U.S.? Where's President Trump? Is he one of the beasts? <laughs> All of those, Brother Moss told me, if you have any of those kind of questions, he'll tackle those after service. <laughs> and if he doesn't know, Brother Beardsley knows. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to suggest that we be willing if you work with me to put some of those kind of questions aside those are not that's not what I was asked to come to do that's not what we're here to do to ask those kind of curiosity questions so let's be willing to kind of put some of those questions on pause Refrain from dogmatism. What is dogmatism? I know the answer, right? For sure. It's okay to say, I don't know. In fact, I would say that the most important qualification to understand the book of Revelation, which is a quality sometimes not that common among those who, who, who teach it, is humility. Willingness to say, I don't know, but God help me out. This is, here we are tackling the most controversial book of the entire Bible. People have been arguing about it for the last 2,000 years. Can we say we're not sure? And we're looking for answers, but we want to ask the right, right questions. So, another objective is to enter the, enter the world of the book and allow the book to enter us. And the paradigm that I think is appropriate here is Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 through 11, where John the Revelator is instructed to eat this book. Before he is qualified to share the contents of this oracle, this message that he is, this prophecy he's to give to all the nations, he must first, what? Participate in it himself. To eat it, to chew on it, to masticate on it, to to uh, meditate on it, bring it and, and, and swallow it and have it go down in the digestive juices, work on that scroll that he has uh, 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 eaten. And then it's supposed to go through his system and become part of him. Instead of coming to the book of Revelation with all our preconceived ideas and all our baggage, we want to hear the book. We want to enter into the world of the book. John, the revelator, is inviting us to join with him 
in this revelatory, apocalyptic experience that he experienced as an angel led him on this guided tour to see these incredible, bizarre sights. And we want to join him in this quest to embark on a journey together, to recognize that uh, we, are, we, are being bid, we are being bidden by the author of this book to come and to particip participate in a, in a journey together. You, I, ourselves, journeying through this book, uh, experiencing the, the sensory nature of the book, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, right? Not simply to try to figure out what every verse of this book has to do with some potential current event, the latest peace treaty in the Middle East, or uh, the latest, uh, very important, the latest um, bagel debacle, right? So they slice them now. That must be in the book of Revelation. And if you haven't no, uh, kept up on that, CNN News, I mean, it's St. Louis has made headlines once again for uh, divisive things. This time, bagels that are sliced. That's got, it's got, can you find that, that verse in Revelation where that predicted, I'm just kidding. <laughs> some, other, some other course objectives. I'm sorry, what? That's my, that's my trick here, what'd you say? Of course, some other course objectives to provide some keys and tools to responsibly interpret the book. To invite the seven spirits to speak clearly and reshape our hearts and minds. This is not just a lesson. This is not just instruction. But God is moving among us as he did among the churches of Asia Minor. And he's searching our hearts. And he's trying to shape us and mold us to prepare us for what? The second coming. The most important prophecy of the entire book. And it's, we're told about it in chapter 1. To encounter the God of this book. May the, may the God of, of the book of Revelation meet with us this evening and, and over the course of the next several Wednesdays. To alter our worldview. What is worldview? Worldview, as uh, the famous New Testament scholar N.T. Wright has pointed out, worldview involves the lens through which we look at the reality in which we live. That doesn't change the reality in which we live. It simply changes the way that we perceive and understand and in our minds, order what we see, and that in turn changes the way we live. Revelation is inviting us to see reality in a different way, if you will, to roll back the curtain of the realm that separates this spiritual reality that we live in here with the reality that God lives in. Uh, we will be seeing scenes, for example, where John is is uh, ascends, uh, uh, rises up into the heavenly realm. A trap door is open. This is the beginning of chapter four. And he enters into the, the sacred precincts, the vault where God lives. 
when you begin, when he, as he begins to see uh, the throne and the throne attendants and the worship that's going on around the throne, everything changes. And you begin to see life on this earth in a very different way. When you realize we're living, if you will, in a two-reality uh, uh, universe, there's the world in which we live and there's the world that God dwells in. And the beautiful part of the story is there's a toggling back and forth throughout the book between, if you will, the balcony of heaven and the reality down here on earth. And God has chosen to come down and to dwell among us, right? The incarnation. And in the book of Revelation, in the, in the uh, oracles to the seven churches, where is God? Where are the seven spirits? They're among the churches. He is here. We're seeing in the book of Revelation where heaven touches earth. And in the very end of the book, what happens? Heaven comes down as, as the new Jerusalem and meets earth. And they become united. So hopefully, God will change the way you see things as, as we work through uh, these sessions. And I'm hoping this will be a conversation, a kind of dialogue. Uh, I, don't, I know this may surprise you. You know what surprises Brother Moss? I don't have all the answers to the book of Revelation. Is anyone out there? You got all the answers? No, we're, we're, tr we're hoping to create a dialogue, a discussion, to get us thinking about the book, to get us reading the book, to begin to talk revelation talk, to begin to acquire some of the vocabulary of the book, and to begin to talk about the scenes that unfold and what do they mean, right? What is God saying to the seven churches? Why, did, why this book in the first place? Why is this book the virtual caboose of the Bible? What is its function? What is it doing there occupying the very last closing farewell of God's word uh, to us? Amen. Some other course objectives. To read the book of Revelation. To encourage reading the book. To encourage you and I to read the book, right? To get into it. Not just to talk about it, but to read the book. Not just to come to a, 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 a teaching and hear about the book, but to cultivate personal reading of the book of Revelation. Both in a, in a corporate setting, all re most reading in the ancient world was done aloud, but also to encourage it at home, to get, to get uh, the, again, to get the book in us and to get uh, us into the book. Number four, and the last objective before we uh, get moving into the material, let me just say something. This is my number one goal. This is why I flew out from St. Louis. This is uh, the most important thing if you take nothing away uh, from tonight, you've got to take this away. And that is this, to once and for all stop calling this the book of Revelations. <laughs> if you want to see me cringe, 
if you want to see me um, start to have convulsions, <laughs> if you want to see me act really, well, actually, I always do act weird, but um, <laughs> have a seizure. Call it the book of Revelations. And let me state at the outset why this is important. It's just a measly little sibilant, sibilant, right? It's a little S, hissy sound, right? Who cares? It, I, I'm being, I've, I've actually been told I've, I'm, I'm being elitist and ivory towerish because I insist that we refer to it in the singular. Why do I in, insist on referring to it in the singular? Because the book insists, its very title is the book of Revelation. And the very first words are the apocalypsis, the apocalypse, the revelation, the unveiling, the revealing of what? Lots and lots of end time things having to do with Russia and the United States and the peace treaty in the Middle East and all this. No, it is a revelation of him. You're telling me that the book of Revelation is about Jesus? That's ex exactly right. It's about him. It's not particularly about revelations with an S. It's about the singular revelation of the one who is the chief character, the key subject, the grand topic of the book, the revealing of him. The word literally means to take the lid off, to take uh, that which is hidden, and make it plain. If anything comes out of our study of the book of Revelation, we should have a clearer picture and a closer walk and experience with none other than Jesus Christ himself. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we want to wrestle with this book like Jacob wrestled with the angel. Was it at the Ford Jabbok? Wrestle. We want to, we, we want to, challenge, we want to, be, we want to struggle with this book. It's going to take some effort to, to struggle with this book so that it will reveal its treasures to us. Not just be casual readers, not just be those who come to it with, with, a, with an attitude, I already know what it's all about, coming with our own baggage and preconception, but we want to, conception, but we want to come to the book with an open, open mind. Amen. So... Our task is to do some ground clearing. I've already mentioned that we all have concepts in our, in our head about this book for better or for worse. Sounds like a marriage ceremony, right? For better or for worse. We've heard some things about the book. Some of us may have avoided the book like the plague, like the plague's in the book. Maybe you came reluctantly tonight because you don't like the book of Revelation. Or maybe you came here tonight because you already know all about the book and you are a world expert on the book. I don't, I don't know where you fit in that spectrum. But hopefully we can clear some ground for a, a fresh engagement with the message of the book of Revelation. Amen? So what are we going to do? We're going to do some gutting, and we're going to do some rehabbing 
Brother Lugo, was. we were talking this evening right before we left about some of the things he had to do to his house, portions of his house after he bought it to, to get it in ship shape, and how sometimes you just have to tear down to the studs, start over again, right? I think we're going to have to do, take down some drywall over the course of the next several weeks and rip out some, some outlets and tear out some wiring and we're going to have to get down to the, to the studs and do some reconstructive surgery perhaps on some of our ideas and concepts about this book. This terrifying, right, terrifying book, scary book. This book that's been badly abused and neglected and hopefully try to restore it to some of its full glory. Let us not forget that the book itself promises, promises, and we'll talk about this more later, promises a blessing to the lector who reads aloud within the, within the seven congregations and to those who hear and obey. This is a book that will change your life. This is a book that will rearrange some of the furniture in your mind and of your thinking. So we're going to have to do some deconstruction before we can do some reconstruction. So we're about to begin a journey, a wonderful journey together, a wonderful journey that requires reorientation. Is it okay if I, I just come out plainly and say, state right at the outset that I don't subscribe to a lot of the views taken by some of the popular prophecy teachers out there. And no, it's not about, you know, is it, well, is, you know, is this going to happen in this order, or uh, what year is that going to happen, or does this got to happen before that? I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about step one. I tend to disagree with the entire approach that a lot of these people take. And I'm not, I'm not here to, to, uh, to criticize uh, others in the way they approach the book. I, I approach it, I'm just saying I approach it from a different way. My way of approaching the book is not to begin with reading the book as a North American, right, as a modern Westerner in 2019, <laughs> but rather to take a step backwards in time, like a time capsule, and try to first understand what the book of Revelation meant to its original audience. To me, that's more responsible. Rather than just picking the book from where we're at in 2019 and say, what does this mean, and how does this correlate in detail with current events of our time, I want to go back and understand what was John saying to his generation, to the seven churches of Asia Minor, in that context, in that language, in that time period. And that requires some reorientation to the book. So we're actually going to launch from a different starting point. All those questions, Arash, that you're dying to ask. Did he leave? Oh, there he is. He's, holy cow, now he's way in the back. I came up to him and I told him before, Service, you know, the, the riffraff, they sit in the back, right? The troublemakers. <laughs> and now he's even going back, Father. Not, 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 no offense to you wonderful people there in the back row. Arash and I have a long history, believe, believe you me. It's not all good. 
He was my student, and I take no responsibility for the way he's turned out. <laughs> so we're going to begin by initially heading in a different direction. We're going we're gonna to dust off. Now, please don't be offended, but we're going to dust off a little of that stuff some of us don't care for. It's called history. You know, the stuff that, like, Brother Moss, did you sleep during history class back in school? That was a long time ago, wasn't it? Some people, you just say the word history, and they just, they start to go to sleep. Like, they start to nod off just with that word. It reminds me of the cafeteria at Urshan uh, College and Graduate School where I teach. I'm actually on a sabbatical leave, thank the Lord, hallelujah, amen. And uh, my good friend Jared Runk and I would mention the word, we'd be sitting around with a bunch of people, and we'd mention the word intertextuality. You can understand the kind of nerdy conversation we have at lunch. Strangely enough, the whole table would clear out, except for me and him. <laughs> Same thing happens with the word history. You talk about history and people, oh, I, you know, I got, I'll, see, I'll see you later. I just remembered I forgot to pick up my laundry at the laundromat or something like that. I think history is exciting. And I think as we begin to uncover what John was doing, or rather what God was doing through John, to these early churches, we will be transformed and it will help us to become better and more responsible interpreters of the book in 2019 and maybe not make some of the mistakes that others have made. Now, let me share a little bit of my own story. Is that okay? Can I interject a little personal business here? I mean, uh, me, and Re me and Revelation, we go, we go way back. Whew. Not as far back as, actually predating Rorash. Probably before that guy was born. Um, so my story, the Brickalonian journey to apocalypse and beyond. So just, this, this should probably be recorded, brother, but I used to be a, a hippie, okay? Some of you already know that. I was a rock and roller. And I got in the church in 1982. Give you a little idea of how old I am. I just got the notice in the mail for my 40th year class reunion. 40 years, so... I, yeah. And like many of you, perhaps, many of you uh, older folks, I don't know why I'm looking at Brother Beersley, sorry. <laughs> he just told me how old he, he was, so I have to pick on him a little bit. How many remember Hal Lindsey, the late great planet Earth? I read that book, I, ate, I almost ate that, devoured that book. It was exciting end time stuff. And a lot of us came into church, that was like the hook, the bait that got us interested. And for many people living today, it's, it, all of us wonder what's going to happen. And if you, if you uh, encounter the news, a lot of bad news. Where is this going? And even people who aren't religious, aren't, even, aren't Christian sense that something is going to happen. It's, it's in the air. Uh, many people believe that we're headed for a cataclysmic crisis. And so, yes, I the late great planet Earth back in the day, but my own, my formal uh, entrance into the study of the book of Revelation came through what I call the back door. Back several years ago, uh, a guy named Robin Johnston uh, I'll just go to the uh, 
go to the uh, FBI website, 10 Most Wanted, you'll see a picture of him on there. Robin Johnston teaches it. Uh, <laughs> Urshan, he's the editor-in-chief of the UPCI, on and on and on. Robin Johnston, you've heard of that guy? Um, he was vice president of Gateway, and he invited me to teach on the book of Revelation because I had studied the Gospel of John, the epistles of John, and so he thought, this was also written by John, you're good to go, you should teach the book of Revelation. Well, I, got a, I, I started to teach the book, I got hooked. I became a Revelation addict, addict, eschatology junkie, right? I loved it. It was the power surge of studying this book. So I came in the, the back door. Some of you might also remember some of this stuff, right? <laughs> Left behind. What's going to happen to you when you miss the rapture boat, the rapture jet? What will happen to you if you're not... Baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, they, they didn't say it exactly that way, but I will. Um, when, the, when the Lord comes back, and what will life be like on earth after the church leaves, right? Scary stuff. Scary stuff. And I'm not here to belittle that approach, but I do think that there may be some better ways to approach the book. Some suggest... Keep away from Revelation. <laughs> it's too hot to handle. Hands off, right? If so many people have made so many mistakes, and if we have 2,000 years of history of pseudo-prophets making predictions about the book with egg on their face because they were wrong, and they're constantly backpedaling because they predicted what year this was going to happen and what year that was going to happen, if they've made such a, a, a disaster of the book, I'm just going to keep away from it. I'm not even going to read it. In fact, for all intents and purposes, for many Christians, Revelation just happens to be in, in the covers of their Bible, but for all intents and purposes, it might just as well not be there. They're afraid of it. They're troubled by it. If they... You know, I, I can just imagine some of these people right now, Lord, show me your will. And they thumb through their Bible with their eyes closed and they flip it open, book of Revelation. Oh, close it. Try again, Lord. Open it up somewhere else. <laughs> Avoid the book like the plague. It's gotten a bad rap. Why? Well, the book has a long history of abuse. One of my favorite quotes about, about uh, the book of Revelation by G.K. Chesterton. Though St. John the Evangelist saw so many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. <laughs> I, don't want to be, I don't want to be like those wacky people that study the book of Revelation. I don't want to turn out like them. I've, I've, I've seen people who are kind of whacked out on some of this stuff. I call them eschatology junkies. They've got to have their hit. They've got to pull up through the drive-thru and... You know, give me, I'll take, uh, you know, uh, two, two uh, tribulation burgers and, uh, you know, some, uh, some uh, Middle East peace treaty fries and you name it. They're, they're hooked on this stuff. They're like groupies and they follow these end time prophecy teachers. Mark Twain, my favorite novelist, has said this. 
The researches of many commentators have already thrown much darkness on this subject of the apocalypse, and it is probable that if they continue, we shall soon know nothing at all about it. <laughs> the more we study the book, the less we know about it. <laughs> so maybe we should just give up and go home. What do you say, Brother Fulbert? Just give it up. There's another issue. The book is notoriously difficult to interpret. That's kind of a no-brainer, right? Nobody can agree what it's about. It's one of the most commented upon books, yet very little consensus as to what it means. You go out and ask 20 people what the book of Revelation is about, you'll get, probably get 20 conflicting answers. Arthur Wainwright has said, ambiguity of meaning is an ingrained characteristic of the apocalypse. It's tough. It's difficult to understand. Why bother to even deal with the book? We might even go so far to say is the book of Revelation is a virtual no man's land. Nobody wants to step out into the no man's land. Why? Because there's minefields out there. It's a minefield of interpretive challenges. If I, if I venture out into, beyond the barbed wire into, the, into that rough terrain out there where there's dead, there's dead bodies and, and uh, mines set up and there's snipers trying to... Why even go out there? Why don't I just stay in some of the safer territory like, you know, Romans or Acts or something like that? Some book of Genesis, something I can understand. Why get into a book... This is difficult to understand. Let me offer, to give you some analogies on, as to how difficult, or some of the challenges we face in studying the book. Does anyone know what the opening lines of this book mean? Does anyone know the opening line of A Tale of Two Cities? One of the most, probably one of the most quoted lines in all the English language. How many actually know anything about A Tale of Two Cities other than that line? Most people don't even know what the book is about. They just know that, that, that opening line. And the question is, what is A Tale of Two Cities? Well, if you dig into it a little bit, and we're not here really to talk about this book, it's, it's uh, set during the French Revolution. And it's, the two cities are, anyone know? Paris and London, right? And what the book is really about is, at a fundamental level, class conflict and the unfair treatment of the poor by the aristocracy. So there's an instance of one can read A Tale of Two Cities at one level and not even really know what the book is about, but it's important to get the backstory to fill in so you can actually understand. Now, some of you might, know, might recognize this. What does this song mean? The Hotel California. Arguably one of the most, uh, it was a song by the Eagles, one of the most iconic uh, songs and, of course, guitar solos of the 1970s. Uh, on a dark desert highway, and I'm not going to quote all the lyrics. There's this, so, so if you read the lyrics, it's a, it's, they're strange. These People are traveling through the, through the night and, and they uh, encounter some strange things. They end up going to this really uh, uh, bizarre hotel and, 
They end up not being able to check out, right? They're stuck there forever. And you might ask, well, what is that song really about? Well, on one level, it's about people that, some strange people that went out for a ride and traveled and ended up in this weird hotel. But if you ask uh, uh, the Eagles what it was about, and, and particularly, well, some of them aren't even with us anymore, but Don Felder and Glenn Fry and Frey, is it Frey or Fry? I don't know, Don, and Don Henley. Um, it actually is about the band's disillusionment with the American dream and the materialism of our culture. So books don't always mean what it seems like they mean. They don't always, they don't always meet the eye, so to speak, right? They, what the book may seem like and one level superficially may not, at the surface, may not be what the book actually means for, as the author intended it. The book of Revelation is also a roller coaster. Wow, I can't, imagine, I can't believe how fast my time is going. It's like a roller coaster. Ups and downs. How many like roller coasters? How many absolutely abhor roller coasters? How many are scared to death of roller coasters? <laughs> White knuckle. Several years ago, I hadn't, I hadn't been on a roller coaster in forever and ever and ever and ever. Just as I can still, in back of my mind, hear the sounds of the roller coaster near where we grew up, the clankety-clank going up. And we were, at, uh, uh, we were in Branson at, uh, what's that park called in Branson? Uh, what is it? Silverdale City. I will not go on a roller coaster, but my wife's going on the roller coaster. And I can't have, you know, I'm a manly guy, you know, I can't let my wife outdo me. Reason went out the window. Man up here. When she can do it, I can do it. Well, I knew I was in trouble. When I sat in, I hadn't been on a roller coaster in decades, the, the attendant came by and took the bar and put it down over the top of me. There's three loops in this thing, right? I'd never been on a roller coaster with loops. The first the ascent was incredible. The view was beautiful. The scenery. But man, that first hill, when we went up and around and down, and your heart, your the whole, whole rest of your body from here down is coming out, trying to come out the top of your head. <laughs> Revelation, the book of Revelation is like a roller coaster ride. Thrill, thrills and Beautiful scenery and terrifying, all wrapped up into one incredible experience. White knuckle, hanging on for your life. It's a wild ride. So it's a, high, it's a charged, highly energized, nail-biting roller coaster ride. It's also a travelogue. We're going on a journey together, a journey, seeing things, getting out of our comfort zone. John got out of his comfort zone. He was on the island of Patmos praying in the spirit, and all of a sudden he went on a wild ride like he had never imagined before. It's a multi-sensory event with sights and sounds and smells and tastes, as we've already mentioned. Amen. Well, we are at uh, 8.15, and we're going to open it up for about five minutes four or five minutes worth of questions. And I think someone has a microphone here 
for me, right? Am I going to be handed a microphone? What was the, what was the game plan? Turn this off, right? That Can you tell us about the two prophets? Are the seven churches types of churches? Are they were actual churches? All right, so that was a wonderful question. He was asking, are the, are the churches of, the seven churches of Asia Minor, were they real or are they symbolic? Is that kind of what you were asking? Sir, what? Stoop. Yeah, the number seven is extremely significant in Revelation. We'll be talking about this a bit more. Those seven churches, I believe, are representative. They were real churches, real congregations, assemblies, real people, real problems and situations that God was dealing with them and speaking to them about. But on a broader level, those seven kind of represent uh, churches in different situations that not only... Uh, spoke to other churches in that time, but that we can glean from today. In other words, we can resonate with some of the issues and situations they were in, and we can learn uh, how to sort of ride the storm of living in the end times. Yeah, we've got another question. Jeremiah's off again.
I just wanted to know what got you so interested in dissecting the book of Revelation and piqued your interest to, to, to do this study on it. I need a lot of tra- on-the-job training. <laughs> Exciting book. Just mind-blowing book. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of, of the Apostle John. I believe this was written by John, though. We're going to look at that uh, later. Um, everything about it just speaks to me. I think we all have particular books of the Bible that form our center of gravity, the ones that most, in a very personal way, feels like home. That doesn't mean we understand everything or we're entirely comfortable with everything about them, but um, for me, the writings of John are the centerpiece for me. It's, if, if you can think of the 66 books of the Bible as, as sort of a solar system, at the center for me is the Gospel of John, the Epistles of John, and the Book of Revelation, all written by by John, and so um, I just find that they, they, they speak to me, I, uh, I just passionately uh, love them. I also see that uh, we're, we're ready for break time, we're ready for intermission, so we are going to uh, pause for that and uh, come back, I believe, at 20, 20 till, do you have... We are going to break now for our intermission, and 